0: If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. That will be our sermon text this morning, the text you heard our sister read a few moments ago, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. As you're turning there, we just say a word of thanks and appreciation to Pastor Mark, Pastor Joe, and the other elders here for the kind invitation to speak at the Think Conference this weekend and to share with you this morning from God's Word. I'm going to read the text again and I'll pray and we'll walk through the word of God together. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Hear the word of God. But when Cephas, and that's Peter the apostle, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now note that. That word Gentile is an ethnic category. In a moment, he's going to talk about Jews. And one thing he does in this text is highlight the Jewish and Gentile distinctions to emphasize Jewish and Gentile unity in the gospel. Y'all with me this morning? And we are the Gentiles in this room. Red and yellow, black and white, we are all Gentiles in God's sight. Unless you are Jewish today, you are a Gentile. So this text is about us. It's not about those people. We are those people. So hear what the Apostle Paul says about y'all. And about me. Before some came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, now hear that, all right? Peter's withdrawal from Gentile Christians at table fellowship is not some side social issue. That's not what Paul says, is it? And by the way, you can can talk back to this preacher this morning, okay? (laughs) Just don't talk over me, all right? He does not give Peter a lecture on sociology. He gives him a lecture on the gospel. To separate from Gentiles was a social issue, a theological issue, and a gospel issue in first century Antioch. So when Paul observed Peter behaving in an anti-gospel way, he said to Peter in the presence of them all, if you, though a Jew, live like the Gentile and not like a Jew, why are you compelling these Gentiles to live like Jewish people? This is the Word of God. Let's pray and ask God to help us apply it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. Let's pray together. Father, your Word says that your power is perfected in weakness. And I pray that you would make that verse proven to be true today through the weakness of the preacher and through the weakness of the people who hear your word, would you awaken our hearts to the power of your word and transform us so that we would be strong in Christ and in the strength of his might in our weaknesses. So Holy Spirit, we pray, would you please visit with us And draw glory to the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. And reveal yourself with power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There are those in the Christian community who will say that the gospel of Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with ethnic reconciliation or with racial conciliation. Rather, they would say, the gospel is basically about telling someone how they can become a Christian and go to heaven when they die. Certainly, The gospel includes how you go to heaven when you die. Amen? Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. You're justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 6-11 says that because Jesus died for our sins, we are justified, we are reconciled with God, and we will be saved from God's future wrath. Amen and amen. But in my view, if you reduce the gospel to only a message about how a sinner goes to heaven when he or she dies, you have affirmed a truncated gospel. Because the gospel is about how you go to heaven when you die, which I call vertical reconciliation with God. But the gospel is also about horizontal realities and cosmological realities. Now let me explain that. Number one, the gospel is the announcement that God has fulfilled all of the saving promises to Abraham for the world through Jesus Christ, the perfect seed of Abraham. And that one of those promises is that red and yellow, black and white Jews and Gentiles can be saved from their sin and can go to heaven when they die. And we should preach that all day long to unbelievers who need Jesus. But the gospel also deals with horizontal realities. It talks about the fact that part of the announcement that God has fulfilled all of his saving promises in Jesus means that red and yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight who are saved are now reconciled to each other through the blood of his cross. Because Jesus tore down the dividing wall of the law to recreate Jews and Gentiles into one new humanity. One new man. One new race, if you will. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Horizontal realities. The gospel has something to say about how you love one another and live in Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered unity with each other, regardless of what you look or sound like. And then, thirdly, the gospel deals with cosmological realities. Y'all need to understand this today. God is about the business of taking back the world from being enslaved to the power of sin in Genesis chapters. 1, 2, and 3, God created a perfect world, a good world. But in chapter 3, sin entered creation. And when sin entered creation, everything that God originally designed was affected by the fall. And God cursed the entire cosmos. Not just individuals, but the entire creation is in agony because of sin. That's why work is hard, even when it's enjoyable. Because the cosmos is affected by the fall. And God promises that he's going to send the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, through the seed seed of the woman to crush the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, in order to restore what Adam has lost. And Isaiah 65, verse 17, calls that new creation. And Paul picks up on that in Galatians chapter 6 when he says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but new creation, which we taste in part now as Christians who have received the blessing of the Spirit and we fully realize in the new heavens and the new earth. If you won't say it, I will. Amen, Apostle Paul. And that's the gospel. You say, well, what does that have to do with Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14? I say to you, everything. Here's what's happening. In the book of Galatians, Paul wrote this letter to Jewish or to Gentile Christians who were being taught by Jewish Christians, or at least they thought they were Christians, that these Gentile Christians had to become Jewish, to be part of the family of Abraham. In essence, they were saying to these Galatian Christians that their faith in Jesus Christ was not enough to make them part of the people of God, but they had to be circumcised if they were males, and they had to appropriate certain aspects of a Jewish life from the law of Moses in order to receive full access to the blessing of Abraham. Because they said, rightly, that's what the Bible says. Genesis 17 says, every person who is a part of God's covenant with Abraham must circumcise their males on the eighth day and then in the Mosaic covenant the law of Moses gives you that stipulation of circumcision once again so that the people of God in the Old Testament scheme of things are a people whom God chose graciously and whom he gave to whom he gave a law to mark them off as God's people and so these Jewish teachers are going into Galatia and they're emphasizing that point. But Paul says in Galatians that they are wrong to preach that as the gospel because the ages have turned in Jesus Christ. That everything to which the law and the prophet pointed, pointed they point to Jesus Christ. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ so that now Jews and Gentiles can receive those blessings by faith in Christ. And Gentiles do not have to become Jewish They need to become Christian so that Jews and Gentiles in Christ have an equal share, an equal portion of the blessing of Abraham, which is realized in the distribution of the Spirit, only by one way, not the law of Moses, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again, red or yellow, black and white domestic or foreign, we're all Gentiles in God's sight, but everybody who is a Jew or a Gentile can be saved and unified in Christ, the Jewish Messiah who died and bled red for all people. That's what's happening in Galatians. And notice particularly in Galatians chapter 2, Verses 11 through 14, Peter began to withdraw from that message. Now, look, I'm a teacher preacher, all right? So my goal here is to immerse you into the text. I want to baptize you this morning into the text. I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about some application, but most of my time is going to be explaining what this text means, and I'll leave it up to y'all and your pastor in the next few weeks to figure out how it applies to you in your context, all right? So I'm going to teach this morning. Can I do that? Can I teach this morning? Well, I'm going to anyway, all right? (laughs) Notice first of all, verse 11. Paul says that Peter was condemned. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This Antioch to which Paul refers is Syria Antioch. We know a lot about Antioch. We know that it was a large city, perhaps the third largest in the Roman Empire. And there was a massively large Jewish population in that city. Some scholars have estimated that approximately 20,000 to 50,000 Jews lived in Antioch in the New Testament era. We know from Acts chapter 11 verses 19 to 26 that Jewish Christians scattered from Jerusalem because of Stephen's stoning and you have Jews and Gentiles meeting together in Antioch. In fact, we have in Antioch a multi-ethnic Jew-Gentile Christian community. And one reason some have said that these Christians are called Christians in Antioch for the first time is because they were a motley crew of people who were from different ethnic groups worshiping this dead Jewish man whom they claimed to have risen from the dead. The word Christian is an ethnic category in its first century conception. So you have, for example, in Antioch, Acts chapter 3 verse 1 gives us this multi-ethnic flavor of this church. You have a guy named Niger. Niger means black. You have a guy named Lucius of Cyrene, which was the capital city of Libya. You have another guy named Manan who was probably Jewish. And then you have Barnabas and Saul. And these were leaders of the church. You say, what's your point? My point is this. Peter is in Antioch with this multi-ethnic Jesus-following community. And he's doing life with them in Antioch. And he's treating these other non-Jewish Christians as though they are equal with Jews in the economy of God. And rightly so. He's treating them prior to some from James coming as though they are no different from Jews because they are in Christ with respect to inheriting the blessing of Abraham. But Paul says in verse 11 that Peter was condemned. Did you notice that in the text? Y'all still with me? It's condemned. Now, by whom was Peter condemned? By God? By Paul? Yes. He's condemned by God and by Paul. Here's why the gospel is the great equalizer between Jews and Gentiles. There is ethnic difference in this text and in this room, there is gender difference, right? There are males and females in this room. There is socioeconomic difference and difference is not inherently bad, is it? Difference is not bad. Here's what's bad, when you play up your ethnic difference and minimize those and marginalize those who don't share your ethnic difference. And the gospel breaks down that dividing wall and invites Jews and Gentiles from all ethnic stripes to the same table and the same blessing by the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And Peter was beginning to walk away from that. So he stood condemned. If you think back with me to Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, if any man or any angel preaches another gospel besides the one he preaches, let him be accursed or let him be condemned is what Paul says. If you read Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says, for as many are from works of the law are under a curse. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us, Jews and Gentiles, from the curse of the law. So watch this. Galatians 1, 8, 9, if you preach another gospel besides the one Paul preaches, you're accursed. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, if you do not believe in Paul's gospel, you are accursed. Galatians 2, verse 11, Peter was condemned. Because he began to erect these barriers between Jews and Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying Peter was lost. I am saying Peter is walking against the gospel, which is what Paul says in verse 14. Let me say another word here. It's very important for you to realize this. The Apostle Paul was a Jew, was he not? He was Jewish, right? And he is proud of his Jewish heritage. Romans chapter 11, I am a Jew. I am an Israelite. I'm from the seed of Abraham. But his gospel did not emphasize Jew-Gentile distinctions. It emphasized Jew-Gentile unity in Christ. He spent his life... Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, announcing Jesus Christ as the good news to the Gentiles and inviting them in the people of God as Gentiles with Jews who are Christians who are transformed by the power of the gospel. But Peter's behavior acts antithetical to that. And by the way, Peter knows better because he too is that great Pentecostal preacher, right? Right? where the Spirit is being poured out on people from different tongues and tribes and nations. And moreover, he saw that great vision in Acts chapters 10 and 11. He knows that what was formerly unclean, namely Gentiles, not unclean anymore in Christ, right? So he stood condemned. Let me give you a practical application here, may I? Your political identity, regardless of what it is, your ethnic identity, your racial identity, your ethnic identity, regardless of what they might be, your economic identity, those things will not make you part of the people of God. And those things will not make you more superior to those who don't share those things with you who are part of the people of God. The great equalizer in the economy of God is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, there is difference, right? I've already said that. I am a middle-class, bald, black man with a PhD. Not all of y'all are that. There is difference. (laughs) But that difference does not make me justified by faith in Christ. And it doesn't condemn those who don't share my difference. The gospel of Jesus Christ unifies a bald black PhD with folks from tongues tribes, peoples, and nations who don't share that. Can I get a witness this morning? Yeah. So, in verse thirteen, Paul does. In verse twelve, Paul does something. He explains to us what's the source of the condemnation. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, we don't know who these men are exactly. I gather they come from First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. Not really a First Baptist Church, but just bear with me. I'm the preacher of the day. Let me use my preacher imagination here. Okay? They come from the Jerusalem church in all likelihood because Paul says they come from James. We don't know if James sent them. We don't know that. But they seem to be Christians. And one reason I think that is so is because, number one, Paul says they come from James, and number two, in Galatians chapter 1 and again in chapter 2, Paul speaks positively of James. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that James, this is James, by the way, Jesus's half-brother, that he was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. And so these Jewish Christians from James are likely coming down to multi-ethnic Antioch, that wasn't too terribly far away from Jerusalem, to tell peter that his multi-ethnic mingling with gentiles needs to stop and the reason why peter shrank back verse 12 is because he was afraid of the circumcision party verse 12 we don't know who this circumcision party is exactly but i take it to be a different group from those from james it's probably non-christian jews so here's how I envision this scenario here. You have these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem who are witnessing these non-Christian Jews in Jerusalem persecuting those who are mingling with the Gentiles. Similar to what Paul did. You remember in Acts chapter 9, he was violently persecuting the church, right? Because the church was a Jewish movement that was Gentile-inclusive. The gospel went to Jews... And Gentiles. You might witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that was perceived by some Jews to be a threat to Jewish identity. So then what happens is you have these Jewish Christians coming down, probably with good motives, telling Peter he's got to stop. And notice what he must stop doing, verse 12. He must stop eating with the Gentiles. This isn't a matter of Paul... Or rather, Peter eating some pork chops. And the Ming told you, you've got to stop eating this food. Hear this very carefully. The issue is not the menu. It's the venue. The issue is with whom Peter is eating. To eat a meal with somebody in the ancient world showed social acceptability. There were massive implications here. For Peter to participate in social interaction with Gentiles over food or in any other capacity showed that Peter really believed the gospel. He believed that Jews and Gentiles are equal in the economy of God, though they are different. So Paul says that when they came, he shrank back. You see verse 12, last part, because of fear. Do you notice that? Do you notice that? Peter is not having some theological crisis here. I mean, he's the great Pentecostal preacher, right? He's afraid. Have you been there? When someone attacks you, slanders you as being a threat to the gospel because you care about the ethnic question, Or because you care about matters related to justice? Are you tempted to shrink back because you are afraid of bullies in the evangelical world? Well, Peter was afraid. And Paul must act. You know why? If Paul lets Peter get away with this ethnocentric behavior, he loses his mission in Antioch. This is not, as I said before, some side social issue. This is a gospel matter. If you're ethnocentric and you play up your ethnic card and you marginalize those who don't share it, that's antithetical to the gospel. And Paul can't have that or he loses his gospel. So he says, verse 14, When I saw that their conduct, let me back up actually to verse 13, Peter's behavior had consequences. Notice what happens. The rest of the Jewish Christians acted hypocritically along with him. Oh, do you feel that? To be wrong on the ethnic question is to be wrong on the gospel. And you can lead people away. That's true for anybody no matter what position they hold, right? The foundational elements of the gospel are the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Without that, we all go to hell. A dead Jesus saves nobody. But the cross and the resurrection of Jesus will create in the life of God's people a multi-ethnic unity with people who have no earthly reason to be together other than they have Jesus and the Spirit. But Peter's behavior threatened that. So that verse 13, even Barnabas, do you feel Paul's sadness here? So that even Barnabas was led away to their hypocrisy. Barnabas, that great encourager that convinced the apostles that Paul was one of them. Do you remember that story in Acts? Remember that story? Paul gets radically saved on the Damascus road. He preaches the gospel. The early disciples hear about it, and they're scared. They're afraid to let Paul join their circle because they hear about the uproar he caused in Judea, persecuting the church, and Barnabas convinces them, oh, no, he's one of us. God has done some great things through his ministry. And so then Paul acts in verse 14, and he says, When I saw that their conduct was not in step, now watch this again, with the truth of the gospel. I want you to hear that. May that reverberate throughout this church this morning. He does not say, when I saw that they were not in step with sociology. He doesn't say that. He says they were not in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. Sociological analysis, frankly, in my view, it's helpful. But Paul doesn't say that's the issue. He says it's a gospel issue, right? The ethnic issue is a sociological issue, a theological issue, and it is a gospel issue. Now, here's a question for you. Why is this a gospel issue? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, because the gospel is vertical, horizontal, and cosmological. And two, because the gospel relates to how you live in accordance with the Spirit, right? Without the gospel, you don't get the Spirit. Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, verse 14, so that we would receive the blessing of Abraham, so that we would inherit the spirit by faith. Galatians 5, 16, watch this, walk in the spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, a fruit of the spirit is love. Galatians 5, 14, love one another and you'll fulfill the whole law to hate your neighbor because of his or her ethnicity or race is antithetical to the gospel. To be antithetical to multi-ethnic kingdom work is antithetical to the gospel. Y'all with me this morning? If your vision of the gospel is only about your Jesus moment and not about God's vision for the world, you need to change your vision of the gospel and conform it to the Bible's vision. Now, the reality is, how you apply these truths will look different from one context to another. But what I want you to know this morning is, is that this question, the ethnic question and the unity question, these are gospel questions. Now, I want to give you a couple points of clarification and then give you a concluding application, all right? Number one, a clarification. I'm not saying... That the first century problem in Antioch is the same problem in our modern Western experience with the race conversation. I'm not saying the ethnic issue in Galatians is the same as the ethnic or the racial issue in America. That's not what I'm saying. The history of race and modern racial reasoning takes on a life of its own in the American experience and in the colonial experience, Right? What I am saying is that the gospel applies to that context and any other context that has issues of race or ethnic division. That's my point. You have to ask yourselves when you read the Bible how do I apply this ancient text to my social situation? Nobody reads the Bible in a vacuum. We're all affected by our social location. And to be a good Christian reader of the Bible requires you to ask yourself, what does the text mean and how does the text apply? And I would say it applies this way. If you are a racist or an anthocitrist, no then that is antithetical to the gospel. Amen? Amen, Amen preacher. <laughs> the second thing I want to say is is that this conversation is related to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. And I want to just say this. This conversation, though it focuses on the ethnic question in Galatians 2, it's not limited to that. Able and disabled people, one in Christ. We don't minimize those who have some physical challenges because they have physical challenges in the kingdom of God. They have equal access to the blessings of Abraham in Christ along with those of us who have more abled bodies. There's no Jew, Gentile, no male, female, no slave or free. Oh, yes, yes, there, there is. There is. But the point would be that in Christ Jesus, those distinctions do not keep us from fellowship at the Lord's table, literally and figuratively, in community with each other. Another thing I'd say is this, related to this conversation. The issue in Antioch requires us to recognize that to pursue spirit-empowered Christ-exalting, gospel-centered, a lot of hyphenated words there, unity requires us to make sacrifices with respect to our preferences. And I have my preferences. I'm a 90-year-old man trapped in a 40-year-old body. I have my preferences. I hate change. I just started using email yesterday. I resisted it for, I'm just joking. But you get the point. But God's vision is a vision not just for one mono-ethnic group. It's a cosmological vision for the world that then requires people from different ethnic groups and different racial groups and different economic groups when they come together to make the necessary sacrificial preferences for the sake of building up the body and glorifying God throughout the nations. That's what this is about. And that might just mean that the Spirit's at work when you see that happening. It doesn't mean the Spirit doesn't work in mono-ethnic churches, because He does. But what I'm saying is, is that a multi-ethnic pursuit of God's vision in some unusual way, glorifies God's cosmological work through Christ in a way that mono-ethnic churches do not because everybody's the same. When you get people who are different together, that scandalizes the devil. And I want to scandalize the devil. I'm going to write a book someday called I Hate the Devil and the Devil Hates Me. And I want the gates of hell to know they can't prevail. And one way they know they can't prevail is through a God-centered vision for multi-ethnic unity rooted in the gospel. So as we conclude, i give a final thought here in terms of practical application. I want you to take this away with you. This conversation is a gospel conversation. So don't let people convince you that you're turning away from the gospel when you pursue the unification of all things in Christ. Quite the contrary. If you take Paul at his word, you're living in step with the gospel. So may God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, help us to pursue Christ-exalting, Spirit-empowered, kingdom diversity for the glory of God, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, because it is a gospel issue. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would do this in our lives, in our hearts. And that this truth will leave this building and go into our homes and into our communities and into our cities. And may we go with the power of the Spirit and the glory of Jesus Christ manifest through the gospel. and with your strength, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.